Now, we'd like to welcome you to tonight's continuation on the second coming of Jesus Christ, part 22. And this is the second part of Joseph Smith's return. We'll start in 1 Nephi, chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. Behold, I say unto you that the house of Israel was compared unto an olive tree by the Spirit of the Lord, which was in our Father. And behold, are we not broken off from the house of Israel? And are we not a branch of the house of Israel? And now the thing which our Father meaneth concerning the grafting in of the natural branches through the fullness of the Gentiles <laughs> is that in the latter days, when our seed shall have been shall have dwindled in unbelief, yea, for the space of many years and many generations after the Messiah, shall be manifested in body unto the children of men. Then shall the fullness of the gospel of the Messiah come unto the Gentiles, or the restoration of the gospel under Joseph Smith. And from the Gentiles unto the remnant of our seed. From the Gentiles unto the remnant of our seed is talking about Joseph Smith's second ministry. The first missionary effort on the end time exodus will be the preaching of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Lamanites. And at that day shall the remnant of our seed know that they are of the house of Israel and that they are the covenant people of the Lord. And then shall they know and come to the knowledge of their forefathers and also to the knowledge of the gospel of their Redeemer, which was ministered unto their fathers by him. Wherefore, they shall come to a knowledge of the Redeemer and the very points of his doctrine, that they may know how to come unto him and be saved. So implicit in Nephi's words uh, of his prophecy of what he saw in vision is that when the terrestrial church of Christ is restored and the end time exodus begins, that the doctrine of Christ would be taught to the Lamanites, the doctrine of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that they might join the end time exodus and be ministered to by one of the 144,000 and aided in their ascension to come into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory, that they might be prepared to enter into New Jerusalem and begin their work, which is the responsibility of Manasseh for the physical construction of those parts of the New Jerusalem um, that need to be constructed so that Ephraim can go forth and complete the gathering and bring all who will unto it. And then at that day, will they not rejoice and give praise unto their everlasting God, their rock and their salvation. Yet that day, will they not receive the strength and nourishment from the true vine? Yea, will they not come unto the true fold of God? And that strength and nourishment from the true vine is the power of Christ unto adopting them, his sons and his daughters, as he pleads their case before Father. Verse 16, Behold, I say unto you, yea, they shall be remembered again among the house of Israel, and they shall be grafted in, being a natural branch of the olive tree into the true olive tree. 
And this is what our father meaneth. And he meaneth that it will not come to pass until after they are scattered by the Gentiles. Now, this is the Gentile nation. And although most of the time, as used by Book of Mormon prophets, the term Gentiles refers to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There is an occasion where the meaning is expanded to mean the Gentile nation, which means the inhabitants of North America. And it will not come to pass until after they are scattered by the Gentiles. And he meaneth that it shall come by the way of the Gentiles. Now, specifically, these Gentiles members of the church of Christ or the strength of the Lord's house as gathered out by the end time servants and by Joseph Smith. And the Lord may show his power unto the Gentiles for the very cause that he shall be rejected of the Jews or of the house of Israel. Wherefore our father hath not spoken of our seed alone, but also of all the house of Israel pointing to the covenant which should be fulfilled in the latter days which covenant the Lord made to our father Abraham, saying, In thy seed all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, spake much unto them concerning these things. Yea, spake unto them concerning the restoration of the Jews in the latter days. And I did rehearse unto them the words of Isaiah, who spake concerning the restoration of the Jews, or of the house of Israel. And after they were restored, they should no more be confounded, neither should they be scattered again. And it came to pass that I did speak many words unto my brethren, that they were pacified and did humble themselves before the Lord. Now in First Nephi 22, verses 6 through 28, Nevertheless, they shall be nursed by the Gentiles, and the Lord has lifted up his hand upon the Gentiles and set them up for a standard. And their children have been carried in their arms and their daughters have been carried upon their shoulders. Behold, these things of which are spoken are temporal. For thus are the covenants of the Lord with our fathers. And it meaneth us in the days to come and also all our brethren who are of the house of Israel. Now, most often the term Gentiles is meant to refer to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But in the prior verse and in this verse, the term Gentiles is narrowed even more to, you know, Ephraim among the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who have awakened and arisen and entered into the new covenant and have become members of the Church of Christ. You know, in Isaiah... It says that Israel will be gathered in and will be carried upon the shoulders of the kings and queens of the Gentiles. Now, this is an ascension level um, of ascending to the level of um, not only the church of the firstborn, but having the patriarchal order of the Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon a man and thus becoming a king and a priest. And for a woman, having the matriarchal order sealed upon her, and thus becoming a queen and a priestess. And the end-time exodus will provide uh, sufficient opposition um, in the midst of sufficient light to provide the opportunity for ascension. 
um, you know, most who receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, it will be around the time of the Exodus. And as um, the strength of the Lord's house goes out onto the end time Exodus, those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, will uh, be entitled to have one of the 144,000 work with them to help them ascend one more level to the church of the firstborn level. And then after that ascension, which is to come into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory, then to be ordained and sealed to the patriarchal order of priesthood for men, the matriarchal order for women, when that is sealed upon them, um, then they become kings and queens, priests and priestesses. In verse 7, And it meaneth that the time cometh, that after all the house of Israel have been scattered and confounded, that the Lord will raise up a mighty nation among the Gentiles. All right. Again, you know, talking about the arising of the American nation, um, the United States of America, which was set aside and preserved to be a land of liberty and for the coming forth of the gospel in its fullness and for the eventual establishment of New Jerusalem. Yea, even upon the face of this land. And, you know, throughout the Book of Mormon, we have continual references to where exactly uh, Book of Mormon geography is. And all of those references refer to North America. And by them shall our seed be scattered. So again, talking about the Gentile nation. And after our seed is scattered, scattered, and the Lord God will proceed to do a marvelous work among the Gentiles. So this marvelous work and a wonder is, it begins with the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house among Latter-day Saints. And their preparation, and then they're going out to gather in scattered Israel, beginning on the end time Exodus. The Lord will proceed to do a marvelous work among the Gentiles, which shall be of great worth unto our seed. Because the very first missionary effort that goes forth is to the Lamanites, to the gathering out of the wheat among the Lamanites and separating the wheat from the tares. Wherefore, it is likened unto their being nourished by the Gentiles and being carried in their arms and upon their shoulders. And it shall also be of worth unto the Gentiles, and not only unto the Gentiles, but unto all the house of Israel. Well, you know, the Gentiles, as they are sent on missions of gathering, they themselves are also being ministered to. And as they are helping others ascend, they are also being helped in their ascension. Unto the making known of the covenants of the Father of heaven unto Abraham, saying, in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And I would, my brethren, that ye should know that all the kindreds of the earth cannot be blessed unless he shall make bare his arm in the eyes of the nations. Now here we have Isaiah imagery and the making bare of Christ's arm in the eyes of all the nations is the return of Joseph Smith in the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house and the gathering of Zion and ultimately defeating the king of Assyria, king of Babylon and all his forces in final preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ in his glory. 
Wherefore, in verse 11, the Lord God will proceed to make bare his arm in the eyes of the nations in bringing about his covenants and his gospel unto those who are of the house of Israel. Wherefore, he will bring them out again out of captivity, and they shall be gathered together to the lands of their inheritance. And they shall be brought out of obscurity and out of darkness. And they shall know that the Lord is their Savior and their Redeemer, the Mighty One of Israel. And the blood of that great and abominable church, which is the whore of all the earth, shall turn upon their own heads. And they shall war among themselves. And the sword of their own hands shall fall upon their own heads. And they shall be drunken with their own blood. Yea, every nation which shall war against the O house of Israel shall be turned one against another and they shall fall into the pit, which they dig to ensnare the people of the Lord and all that fight against Zion shall be destroyed. And that great whore who hath perverted the right ways of the Lord, yea, that great and abominable church shall tumble to the dust and great shall be the fall of it. For behold, saith the prophet, the time speedily cometh that Satan shall have no more power over the hearts of the children of men. For the day soon cometh that all the proud and they that who do wickedly shall be a stubble. And the day cometh that they must be burned. For the time soon cometh that the fullness of the wrath of God shall be poured out upon all the children of men. For he will not suffer that the wicked shall destroy the righteous. Wherefore, he will preserve the righteous by his power, even if it so be that the fullness of his wrath must come, and the righteous be preserved even unto the destruction of their enemies by fire. Wherefore, the righteous need not fear. For thus saith the prophet, they shall be saved, even if it so be as by fire. And, you know, this is one of the main themes that we need to be taking away. That, as we see society become increasingly more dark and more tyrannical, and as we seeing uh, society and even ourselves coming into bondage, those who wait upon the Lord have no need to fear, for he will deliver them, and as Isaiah says, even so as if it were by fire. Verse 18, Behold, my brethren, I send to you that these things must shortly come. Yea, even blood and fire and vapor and smoke must come. And it must needs be upon the face of this earth. And it cometh unto men according to the flesh, if it so be that they will harden their hearts against the Holy One of Israel. For behold, the righteous shall not perish. For the time surely must come that all they who fight against Zion shall be cut off. And the Lord will surely prepare a way for his people unto the fulfilling of the words of Moses, which he spake, saying, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that all those who will not hear that prophet shall be cut off from among the people. Now, as is about to be disclosed, this prophet is Jesus Christ. But the way that his word is delivered unto the people is through the writings and the voice of his servants. And now I, Nephi, declare unto you that this prophet of whom Moses spake was the Holy One of Israel, wherefore he shall execute judgment in righteousness. 
and the righteous need not fear, for they are those who shall not be confounded. But it is the kingdom of the devil which shall be built up among the children of men, which kingdom is established among them which are in the flesh. For the time speedily shall come that all churches which are built up to get gain and all those who are built up to get power over the flesh and those who are built up to become popular in the eyes of the world and those who seek the lusts of the flesh and the things of the world and do all manner of iniquity, yea, and fine, all those who belong to the kingdom of the devil are they who need fear and tremble and quake. Yea, they are those who must be brought low in the dust. They are those who must be consumed as stubble. And this according to the words of the prophet. Now, you know, I often hear it remarked that the reason that, you know, the church does what it does is to become popular in the eyes of the world so that we can increase the missionary effort. But, you know, Christ, you know, did not make concessions to the adversary or his kingdom. Christ's main concern wasn't to maximize numbers, but it was to gather out those who were willing to bear his cross, to take his name upon them. Those who would be willing to enter into covenant and sacrifice all things, not to become popular with the world. And the time speedily cometh, verse 24, that the righteous must be led up as calves of the stall. And the Holy One of Israel must reign in dominion and might and power and great glory. And again, let's cross-reference DNC 103. And Nephite prophets continually tell the Latter-day Saints and all Israel how they are to repent. And the prescribed manner of repentance is to offer up unto the Lord a sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. To be willing to sacrifice all things and put all things upon the altar and to receive the terms of that sacrifice by revelation and not only to hear, but also to do. Cross-reference, DNC 101, starting in verse 55. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants. Now, this is the same servant that we read about in DNC 103, who the Lord specifically named as Joseph Smith, Jr. Now, this is not in his first ministry. Joseph Smith's first, <coughs> excuse me, first ministry begins in verse 44 of DNC 101. Uh, now this is his return or his second ministry. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, Joseph Smith Jr., go and gather together the residue of my servants or uh, those who the Lord called, my apostles and my friends, um, the first labors in the last kingdom. Those who were ordained with Joseph Smith as high priest on June 4th, um, 1831 at the Isaac Morley farm and a few others who were also ordained uh, in preparation for their attendance at the school of the prophets and take all the strength of my house. Now the strength of the Lord's house are the, those Latter-day saints and members of, 
you know, whatever uh, restoration movement they might find themselves in, or, you know, any Christian sect who is using the Book of Mormon, which contains the path of ascension or the doctrine of Christ, that one might be sufficiently instructed about how to repent and return or become Christ's sons and daughters through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Um, Those who have accepted and entered into this covenant and are doing their best to fulfill the terms of this covenant uh, are those who will be among the strength of the Lord's house who will be gathered out in preparation for the end time exodus which are my warriors, my young men, and they that are of middle aged. Again, not talking about biological age, but, you know, talking about being willing to stand as a witness for Christ at all times and all things and all places that they may be in, even to the death of their mortal body. And fearing not man or what man can do, or even if they should die in Christ's service, but caring only, that they do whatsoever the Spirit would command them to do. And go ye straightway unto the land of my vineyard, and redeem my vineyard, for it is mine. I have bought it with money. All right. The Lord's vineyard is those who have and will become his sons and his daughters through the new and everlasting covenant and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then continuing in that covenant. They are they who are of his vineyard. And it is his sons and his daughters whose fruit it is that he gathereth up unto himself. Therefore get ye straightway unto my land. So not only does Joseph Smith and the end time servants gather together the strength of the Lord's house, but they also conduct an offensive measure against the enemies of the Lord. And these enemies are discussed in verses 49 through 54. And while, you know, these do not comprise the sum total of the Lord's enemies, they are the first of the Lord's enemies who will be destroyed. Therefore, get you straightway into my land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower and scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of my house and possess the land. So while Joseph and while Jesus Christ in their first ministries came as lambs, in their second they come as lions and warriors. And the servant said unto his Lord, when shall these things be? Well, you know, this servant is Joseph Smith Jr. And He didn't know when all of these things would be fulfilled. In fact, um, most of his ministry, he thought that these things would be fulfilled during his first ministry. And it wasn't until he was on his way to the Rocky Mountains and a writer caught up to him and delivered him a letter written by Emma, who told him that his friends were calling him a coward and that he should return and surrender himself at Carthage. At that point, he knew that um, he was going to his death, 
and that, you know, the grand prophecies of the marvelous work and wonder that all prophets since the creation of the world have looked forward to would not be fulfilled during his first ministry, but a second would be required. And so verse 59, you know, the servant said unto his Lord, when shall these things be? Um, you know, this is clearly Joseph Smith posing that question uh, before uh, that turnaround point. Verse 60, and he said unto his servant, when I will, go ye straightway and do all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And this shall be my seal and blessing upon you. A faithful and wise steward in the midst of mine house, a ruler in my kingdom. And his servant went straightway and did whatsoever things his Lord commanded him. And after many days, all things were fulfilled. Again, verily I say unto you, I will show unto you wisdom in me concerning all the churches. Inasmuch as they are willing to be guided in a right and proper way for their salvation. <laughs> now the term churches is used in a little bit different context than we use it today. Um, these churches are simply assemblies of the saints, um, those among the Restoration Movement who enter into and are striving their best to offer up the broken hearts and contrite spirits, receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then go forth to enter into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And, you know, just as Lehi, when he reached the tree and partook of the fruit, he desired that his family should also reach the tree and partake of the fruit. Um, you know, this is exemplified, you know, starting by his missionary efforts in First Nephi chapter 1, um, as he went and taught the doctrine of Christ and called repentance unto the inhabitants of Jerusalem, which he had formerly been a member, but he himself had been awakened by the prophet Jeremiah. And when he heard one who spoke by the power and authority of God, he immediately recognized it because he was an honest seeker of truth. And before this, he was kept from the truth only because he knew not where to find it. And thus are there many of our family members and our brothers and our sisters, you know, the fellow you know, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They're kept from the truth only because they know not where to find it. And it is our job and responsibility once we have been awakened to awaken all within the sphere of our influence and sound. Verse 62, And his servant went straightway and did all things whatsoever his Lord commanded him. And after many days, all things were fulfilled. And again, verily I say unto you, I will show unto you wisdom in me concerning all the churches, or those Latter-day Saints who awaken and arise and enter into the new covenant and are among those who are gathered out. It's not just enough to enter into the new covenant. It's not enough even just to be gathered out. One must continue to be true and faithful. Inasmuch as they are willing to be guided in a right and proper way for their salvation, that the work of the gathering together of my saints may continue, that I may build them up unto my name upon holy places. For the time of harvest is come, and my word must needs be fulfilled. 
Therefore, I must gather together my people, according to the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the wheat may be secured in the garners to possess eternal life and be crowned with celestial glory, when I shall come in the kingdom of my Father to reward every man according as his work shall be, while the tares shall be bound in bundles and their bands be made strong, that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. And this is the cleansing that begins in the Lord's own house. DNC 45, verse 14, talking about the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They wear stiff necks and high heads. Yea, and because of pride and wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, they have all gone astray, save it be a few who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many instances they do err, because they are taught by the precepts of men. And because they are taught by the precepts of men. Verse 26. Yea, woe be unto him that hearkeneth unto the precepts of men, and denieth the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. So because they hearken unto the precepts of men, or those who claim to be God's prophets and apostles, but speak not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, and have not been called by him, but preach as doctrine their own commandments, and shine a light unto themselves and not to Jesus Christ, and replace the new and everlasting covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit for the reception of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost with other things, like DNC 132. Cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm, or shall hearken unto the precepts of men. Save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. And this is the thing that will separate the end-time servants and ultimately Joseph Smith himself from those who are imposters, speaking by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, for receiving all words which are spoken by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost is not only not relying upon the armor of flesh and the precepts of men, it is exactly the opposite. You know, for the Lord said, whether it is by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. But we have the responsibility to develop and to exercise the gift of discernment so that we know the difference. Back to DNC 45. Verse 29. But they receive it not, for they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts far from me because of the precepts of men. Now, this is talking directly to the Latter-day Saints. Um, right before the calling out of the strength of the Lord's house. And in that generation shall the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Well, we know exactly what generation is being talked about because the fulfilling of that generation is the beginning of the end time exodus under the second ministry of Joseph and the destruction of the tares. And so this prophecy, just like most of the doctrine of covenants, um, is directed primarily toward Joseph Smith's second and not his first coming. Verse 31. And there shall be men standing in that generation that shall not pass until they shall see an overflowing scourge. For a desolating sickness shall cover the land. 
but my disciples shall stand in holy places and shall not be moved, but among the wicked men shall lift up their voices and curse God and die. And there shall be earthquakes also in diverse places and many desolations. Yet men will harden their hearts against me and they will take up the sword one against another and they will kill one another. And now when I, the Lord, had spoken these words unto my disciples, they were troubled. And I said unto them, be not troubled. For when all these things shall come to pass, ye may know that the promises which have been made unto you shall be fulfilled. And when the light shall begin to break forth, it shall be with them like unto a parable, which I will show unto you. Ye look and behold the fig trees, and ye see them with your eyes. And ye say, when they begin to shoot forth, their leaves are yet tender, that summer is now nigh at hand. Even so it shall be in that day when they shall see all these things. Then shall they know that the hour is nigh. And it shall come to pass that he that feareth me shall be looking forth for the great day of the Lord to come, even for the signs of the coming of the Son of Man. And they shall see signs and wonders, for they shall be shown forth in heavens above and in the earth beneath. And they shall behold blood and fire and vapors of smoke. And before the day of the Lord shall come, the sun shall be darkened and the moon be turned into blood and the stars fall from heaven. And the remnant shall be gathered unto this place. All right. Talking about the the remnant of Israel or those among Israel who will enter into the new covenant and receive it when it is extended to them. And then they shall look for me and behold, I will come and they shall see me in the clouds of heaven, clothed with power and great glory with all the holy angels. And he that watches not for me shall be cut off. Now I feel impressed to read a dream that a good friend had on November 18th, 2020. And um, this dream has been shared before in the uh, afterward discussion, but we haven't yet shared it during the doctrinal portion. But it segues perfectly into uh, what we have just read. And the dream commences. I was at the beach. My family was there. There, there were distinct groups of people. There were people who stayed back on the sand, just looking at the water and enjoying the safety of the beach. Then there were people who went into the water, just touching it. And then there were those who ventured out into the deep. Someone came to give us surf lessons. As I saw them, I felt they were looking at me. They knew I was going to take my kids into the water to surf, and it seemed to annoy them. My two older kids wanted to surf. And so they proceeded to get into the water. My youngest of two years was on the sand and was staying in her area, perfectly content and happy. I had no fear of leaving her alone. My husband was walking around with our two younger daughters of three and five. I felt he had something he was busy doing with them and didn't worry or think twice about them not being with me. 
I tried to join my older two kids out in the area where there should have been water, but in fact, the ocean area was dried up to the extent that we walked a good distance as we tried to obtain the water, perhaps 150 yards out on dry ground. The kids were disappointed that they couldn't surf. Yet, as we continued to moving forward and looking for water, we found incredible things that we never would have seen or noticed if there had been ocean there. We found ourselves enjoying the journey. We found the formation of a cave-like structure. It was basically an arch we could walk under and into that would have been deep under the ocean had there been water there. It was there that we found two LDS missionaries. It seemed strange to find them there. They had on full clothing, including jackets and name tags. They seemed annoyed for us to be there, as though that was their area to track. They were standing facing the beach and with their back toward the direction of the ocean. I tried to have a conversation with them, but it was not fruitful, as they would much rather smoke. They each had a cigarette, and I remember looking to my kids, hoping that they wouldn't notice the example of these missionaries, blatantly smoking in front of them while on their missions. They were very prideful and found it a waste of time to need to discuss anything with me. I could see a few feet past them to the other opening of the arch. It's through the opening that I see were people playing past the arch. There happened to be quite a lot of people on the other side of this arch. I understood that they were all members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For some reason, I don't know why, they were enjoying being so far out and felt privileged to have found this spot of ground to explore and to enjoy without the public being apart. Apparently, most of the public stayed on the beach and barely went to the water. Those playing past the arch seemed to think themselves better for having ventured out and loved that this was their spot untainted by others. I watched the missionary, missionaries standing there like sentinels, not interested in sharing the gospel, but smoking their cigarettes with their back toward the water. It was then that the time, at this time, a voice came to me stating clearly, watch out for rogue waves. I looked past the missionaries to warn them, and I repeated exactly what the voice said to me. It was in that moment that I saw a large wave coming. I immediately grabbed my two older kids and told them to run. We ran all the way back to the shore as quickly as we could, giving no notice or attention to anything except survival. The wave came in, and most of those in the path of the wave were path of the wave were wiped away. It stopped at the beach's edge, and those on the sand were untouched and unfazed. I was amazed at our luck and blessing to have gotten away by the sheer skin of our teeth. Those on the beach seemed to shake their heads thinking of the silly ones who ventured out and were now destroyed. The water quickly dissipated. And again, my older kids and I ventured out into the dry ocean bed looking for the water to explore. We went back to the same area and were shocked to find people there again. How was this possible? They seemed to have just repopulated instantly and had forgotten what just happened. There was no thought or focus or even reflection on what had occurred. All their attention went back to enjoying where they were and what they had. I was discussing the dangers and there were none listening. I saw the missionaries, in parentheses, not sure if these were the same missionaries as before or new ones, as these seemed to be of a different demeanor and interest. This set of missionaries were looking at pictures. They were happy to share their amazing photos of the ocean with me. I took them and began looking through them, 
One picture looked out of place, as though it was a partial picture of something. As I held it up, I saw that it matched my view, and I could see that it was a partial picture of the rocks from the arch and a partial picture of a wave unlike any other. By my vantage point, the picture was very clear and ominous. By holding it up, my eyes drew to the water, and again I saw the second wave was coming. This wave made the first look like a ripple in a pond. I instantly knew this was not going to yield and no one would survive it. Again, I yelled to my children and we ran. I knew this wave would take out everything. I remembered my baby on the sand and grabbed her on my way past the beach. As we ran past the beach, I was yelling as we went trying as we went trying to be a voice of warning of what was about to consume them. Some listened, some did not. I knew it would not stop at the beach this time. We ran past the parking lot, which was set further back. I knew it would wipe out the parking lot and all the vehicles in it. It was there that my husband and my other two kids met us. He was aware of what was about to happen. We continued to run as the wave consumed everything in its path. We ran and ran. At this time, I woke up. After discussing my dream with my husband, we both came up with a list of questions to take the Lord to help us understand what the Lord wanted us to know about the dream. Here is what we came up with, with a prayer that all may be uplifted and gain further guidance from the Lord and no man. Number one, what am I to understand by our family going to the beach? Answer, the beach represents the happiness the world offers, the world's leisures and pleasures. Number two, what does the water represent? The water represents light, truth, and knowledge. It takes great effort to attain and brings joy. Number three, what am I to understand by my husband's absence? Answer, while you both are unified, you each have separate missions to accomplish. You receive those from the Lord and none else. You know he is about his mission and do not worry. Number four, what am I to understand by those instructors preparing to teach surf lessons? Answer, there are those who believed or Profess to have greater knowledge to help those interested in more than the beach has to offer, but do not know how to proceed. Number five, what am I to understand by the instructor, by the instructor's stare at me? You have no instructor teaching you or taking you into the water, hence no authority. They are bothered by this. Number six, what am I to understand by the recession of the water? Most of what you believe to be there was an illusion. It takes great effort and desire to actually attain the water. Number seven, what am I to understand by my older two kids' desire to get in? It came naturally to them. Sitting on the beach was a waste of time, and they desired more. Eight, what am I to understand by the 150 yards of extreme bright ocean bed area we trekked? Answer, work, seeking is necessary and is more than can be seen from the beach. One can easily be discouraged by the vastness of the deserted dry ground and turn back, or one can become preoccupied with it and never fully move forward toward the real goal of attaining the water. Number nine, what am I to understand by the missionaries standing fully dressed under the ocean level? Answer, they were prepared carnally, but not spiritually. They also do not partake of what the water offers, even to the extent that they do not even look toward it, but instead away from it. Number 10, what am I to understand by the arch? Answer, it represents a gateway of knowledge. 11, who do the missionaries represent? Answer, they represent the majority of the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its leaders, not truly looking to that which they teach or represent. Number 12, what am I to understand by the attitude of the missionaries? Answer, there is no fulfillment in what they are doing. 
Because of this, they fill themselves with worldly evils, and they obviously and stand prideful as though not partaking of the water is a as though not partaking of the water is a higher calling. What am I to understand by them smoking? Answer their worldly fulfillments in Babylon, which completely slip their own notice. Number 14, what am I to understand by those people just beyond the arch who are LDS and seems to be just at the cusp of the waterline playing happily? Answer, they do not immerse themselves in the water. They only remain ankle deep and truly do not know what they are playing on. Only that they are privileged, privileged to be where they are and profess to be better than others by their access to greater blessings and truth. 15, what am I to understand by the people returning to the area after the first wave of destruction? And so the first wave uh, of destruction was a great warning, which most are too blind and proud to understand. The people will stay or return to the same state as they were before the wave, not heeding the warning. Verse 16. Or number 16, what am I to understand by the destruction of the first wave? Answer, is a direct sign to the Latter-day Saints to awaken them to their own pride, vanity, and great errors. This first destruction mostly affects LDS people, yet the majority of them will not see this. 17, what am I to understand by the pictures of the missionaries which they showed me? They represent the scriptures they treasure so dearly, yet they do not understand them. It shows them plainly about their own destruction if they do not heed them, which most do not. Number 18, what am I to understand by my husband meeting me as I ran out of the water and knowing what was happening? Answer, his mission connects with mine, and we will both only come together by heeding the voice of the Lord. Number 19, what am I to understand by the destruction of the parking lot and not using a car to escape? Answer, there is nothing we can rely on, nothing of this world, will shelter or save us. It will be, it will all be destroyed. Verse 20 or number 20. What am I to understand by the different groups of people? Some on the beach, some on the dry ocean bed and some on the water's edge answer. They represent different levels of Christian believers. Some on the beach, some on the dry ocean bed and some at the water's edge, all depending on how much they desire to seek for and attain truth, putting all things of this world, putting off all things of this world and heeding my voice. Not all touching the water line are seekers, but we're privileged to be given opportunities to be close to the water. Because of their privilege, they do not appreciate their circumstances as they have not worked for this privilege and they have not sought after the water through the 150 yards of dry water bed. Hence, they do not see the destruction that lies ahead. Instead, they make water a Babylon and create an idol of worldliness, of worldly happiness out of it. When the water is truly further light and knowledge meant to turn them to me and hear my voice, but they hear nothing over their own laughter and shouts of joy as they play in a Babylon of their own making. The water is not the end goal, but by seeking to attain it, one learns how to hear me and my guidance and receive revelation over all other things. And again, DNC 45 verse 44. And then they shall look for me, and behold, I will come. And they shall see me in the clouds of heaven, clothed with power and great glory, with all the holy angels. And he that watches not for me shall be cut off. Now let's go to Joseph Smith Matthew, which is right after the book of Abraham in the Pearl of Great Price. Verses 26 through 55. For as the light of the morning cometh out of the east and shineth 
even unto the west, and covereth the whole earth, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And now I show unto you a parable. Behold, whatsoever or wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. So likewise shall mine elect be gathered from the four quarters of the earth, and they shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Behold, I speak for mine elect's sake, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And again, because of iniquity shall abound, the love of men shall wax cold, but he that <coughs> shall not be overcome the same shall be saved. And again, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come or the destruction of the wicked. And again, shall the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet be fulfilled. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the power of heaven shall be shaken. Verily I say unto you, this generation in which these things shall be shown forth shall not pass away until all I have told you shall be fulfilled. Although the days will come that heaven and earth shall pass away, yet my words shall not pass away, but all shall be fulfilled. As I said before, after the tribulation of those days, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall, the, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. <coughs> and whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. For the Son of Man shall come. And he shall send his angels before him with great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together the remainder of his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree when its branches are yet tender and it begins to put forth leaves. You know that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise, mine elect, when they shall see all these things, they shall know that he is near even at the doors. But of that day and hour, no one knoweth. No, not the angels of God in heaven, but only my father. But as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also at the coming of the son of man. For it shall be with them as it was in the days which were before the flood. For until the day that Noah entered into the ark, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall be fulfilled that which is written, that in the last days two shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. And what I say unto one, I say unto all men, watch. Therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, if the good man of the house had known at what hour or in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to have been broken up, but would have been ready. 
Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Whom is the Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. And verily sent to you, he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him. And in an hour that he is not aware of and shall cut him asunder and shall appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And thus cometh the end of the wicked, according to the prophecy of Moses, saying, They shall be cut off from among the people. But the end of the earth is not yet, but by and by. DNC 112, 23 through 26. Verily, verily, I say unto you, darkness covereth the earth, and gross darkness the minds of the people, and all flesh has become corrupt before my face. Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, and of lamentation. And as a whirlwind, it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon my house shall it begin. Now, the term the Lord's house, uh, he defines in DNC 101, verse 55, as the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth unto the Lord, saith the Lord. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me, and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. Now, blasphemed against me doesn't mean in the midst of the temple. It means in the midst of the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Those who profess as doctrine the commandments of men, but receive their commandments not by the power of God or speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. Proclaiming the virtues of UN Agenda 2030, for instance, and uh, giving gratitude for those who are making the vaccine of death, which is about to be administered. Therefore, see to it that ye trouble not yourselves. Actually, verse 28. But purify your hearts before me, and then go ye into all the world, and preach my gospel unto every creature who has not received it. Now, this preaching is going to go forth... Um, starting at the end time exodus to every man, woman, and child who does not qualify for destruction. 
In verse 29, and he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. For unto you the twelve and those the first presidency who are appointed with you to be your counselors and your leaders is the power of this priesthood given for the last days and for the last time in the which is the dispensation of the fullness of times. All right. So now this is talking. Um, this is using historical precedent. The Lord is talking to men in Joseph Smith's first ministry about what will occur in his second. And that not only will Joseph Smith return, but um, many servants will return with him and will have the opportunity to participate with him in the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house. And as is explicitly stated here, the dispensation of the fullness of times is not Joseph Smith's first ministry, but it is, is his second. Uh, we read in DNC 110 that during Joseph Smith's first ministry, Elias came and restored to him in the Kirtland Temple the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham or the preparatory gospel. Again, verse 30. For unto you, the twelve, and those, the first presidency, were appointed with you to be your counselors and your leaders, is the power of this priesthood given for the last days and for the last time, in the which is the dispensation of the fullness of times. So, when Joseph Smith you know, begins this end-time exodus, there will again be a first presidency in the Church of Christ. And there will also be 12 men who will be called as apostles. But these men will be ordained by Jesus Christ. Now, Oliver Cowdery gave to the 12 called by he and David Whitmer in 1835 the apostolic charge, that you have come this far based on other men's testimonies. Now, you must part the veil, see the face of God, and be ordained by Christ. And none of those original 12 apostles ever fulfilled the apostolic charge, but that apostolic charge will be fulfilled during Joseph Smith's second ministry. Verse 31, which power you hold in connection with all those who have received a dispensation at any time from the beginning of creation. Now, this is talking about this power is the opening of a dispensation. And the opening of a dispensation is a man being ordained and sealed to the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. And as we read in DNC 84, when there is not a man found upon the earth who has been ordained and sealed unto this order of the priesthood, or when there is not an open dispensation, it's not possible to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the ghost. But this is what defines the opening of a dispensation. And all men who have previously come have opened a dispensation by the exact same way. They have hearkened to all the commandments of God by the voice of the Spirit unto the obtaining of authority and power 
in the first order of Melchizedek priesthood or the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, which has the power to baptize with water into the terrestrial order of the gospel versus baptism by water that's done by the LDS church today by the authority of the Aaronic priesthood, which is into the preparatory gospel. And second, when commanded by the Holy Ghost to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. Verse 31 again, which power you hold in connection with all those who have received a dispensation at any time from the beginning of the creation or the apostolic order of the Melchizedek priesthood ordained and sealed. For verily I say unto you, the keys of the dispensation which ye have received have come down from the fathers, the last of all being sent down from heaven unto you. Verily I say unto you, behold, how great is your calling. Cleanse your hearts and your garments, lest the blood of this generation be required at your hands. Be faithful until I come, for I come quickly, and my reward is with me to recompense every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega. DNC, section 5, verses 16 through 20. And behold, whosoever believeth on my words, them will I visit with the manifestation of my spirit. And they shall be born of me, even of water and of the spirit. So, whoso believeth, the doctrine of Christ, when it is declared to them by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, will receive baptism by water into the terrestrial order of the gospel and by hearkening unto the voice of the Spirit, receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. Verse 17. And you must wait yet a little while, for ye are not yet ordained. And their testimony shall also go forth unto the condemnation of this generation if they harden their hearts against them. For a desolating scourge shall go forth among the inhabitants of the earth. Again, you know, this is a prophecy not of Joseph Smith's first ministry, but during his second. For a desolating scourge shall go forth among the inhabitants of the earth, and shall continue to be poured out from time to time, if they repent not, until the earth is empty, and the inhabitants thereof are consumed away and utterly destroyed by the brightness of my coming. Behold, I tell you these things, even as I also told the people of the destruction of Jerusalem, and my word shall be verified at this time, as it hath hitherto been verified. You can see 77, verse 11. Question, what are we to understand by the sealing of the 144,000 out of all the tribes of Israel, 12,000 out of every tribe? Answer, we are to understand that those who are sealed are high priests, ordained under the holy order of God to administer the everlasting gospel. For they are they who are ordained out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people by the angels to whom is given power over the nations of the earth to bring as many as will come to the church of the firstborn. Now, so the calling of the 144,000 is to work with those 
who have ascended to the level of elect or have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and help them ascend another level to the church of the firstborn level that they might be ready to enter into New Jerusalem. And the work that is being talked about, um, for the most part, will take place on the end time exodus. And it will not only take place on the end time exodus, but it will also take place during the millennium. For during the millennium, there will be two groups of people, those inside the New Jerusalem and those outside. Inside the New New Jerusalem, the church of the firstborn will officiate. Outside of the New Jerusalem, the church of Christ will officiate. And it will work with all of those who have desires to ascend to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that they might be born again sons and daughters of Christ, that then one of the 144,000 might work work with them to help them ascend to the church of the firstborn level or into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory and thereby qualify to enter into New Jerusalem. DNC 76, starting in verse 50. And again, we bear record, for we saw and we heard, and this is the testimony of the gospel of Christ concerning them who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. Now, to come forth in the resurrection of the just is also to come forth in on the morning of the resurrection uh, or to come forth on the morning of the first resurrection. And although we brandy about um, this phrase and it is used and sprinkled in most patriarchal blessings, yet we have no idea what it really means. And uh, if we did know what it really meant, it would not be sprinkled so frequently among patriarchal blessings. Verse 51, they are they who received the testimony of Jesus and believed on his name. So, you know, this is what is required to be baptized into the terrestrial order of the gospel. To receive the testimony of Jesus and believe on his name. What does that mean to receive the testimony of Jesus? Well, we're told what that means in 3 Nephi chapter 9. And in 3 Nephi chapter 9, verse 17. And as many as have received me. So this phrase, as many has ever in verse 51, as have received the testimony of Jesus and believed on his name, means the same thing as in 3 Nephi chapter 9, verse 17, when it says, and as many as have received me to them, have I given to become the sons of God. But Christ has not yet told us exactly what this means to receive him. And even so will I to as many as shall believe on my name. For behold, by me redemption cometh, and in me is the law of Moses fulfilled. And then the answer is in verse 20. And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. So back in verse DNC 76, verse 51. So they are they who receive the testimony of Jesus. So 
Receiving the testimony of Jesus means to offer up as a sacrifice our broken heart and contrite spirit, to submit our will completely to his will, to receive the terms of that sacrifice by revelation. And since we must receive the terms of that sacrifice by revelation, the voice of revelation about what is required to make the sacrifice, that is the testimony of Jesus. Receiving this testimony is not only to seek after and receive the terms by revelation, but also to act and believe on his name. We're baptized after the manner of his burial, being buried in the water in his name, and this according to the commandment which he has given, that by keeping the commandments they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who is ordained and sealed unto this power. So, Implicit in this verse is that there are two parts to every priesthood. The first part is to receive authority through ordination. The second part, after having passed the associated tests, to have that priesthood sealed upon him um, and then receive power in that priesthood. Or in other words, to be ordained and sealed. Now, verse 52 has reference to the first order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek priesthood, the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. You know, the same order of the priesthood that we were just reading about um, in DNC 45. And the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, can only be performed by one who has been ordained and sealed to the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, whether that man be on this side of the veil or the other. And as we learn in DNC 84, so quickly cross-referencing to DNC 84, verse 21, and without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, talking about the apostolic order, the power of godliness or the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is not manifest unto men in the flesh. So when there is not a mound found upon the earth that has been ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood, um, there is not an open dispensation, and the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, cannot be performed or received. And then verse 53, those who receive the baptism by water, and then the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then overcome by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which the Father sheds forth upon all those who are just and true. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. So what does it mean to overcome by faith after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Ghost? If we go to 2 Nephi 28, or pardon me, 2 Nephi 32, and Nephi poses the question, well, you might suppose, what should you do after you have entered into the gate or after you've received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost? And he says in verse 2, do you not remember that I said unto you that after you had received the Holy Ghost, you could speak with the tongue of angels? And now how could you speak with the tongue of angels, save it were by the Holy Ghost? Angels speak by the power of 
the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. Or in other words, after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, if you ask and knock, you will be answered and it will be opened unto you. The things which ye should do to part the veil and enter into Christ's presence in his glory. Wherefore, now after I have spoken these words, if ye cannot understand them, it will be because ye ask not, neither do ye knock. Therefore ye are not brought into the light, but must perish in the dark. For behold, again I say unto you, that if ye will enter in by the way and receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you all things what ye should do. Verse 6, behold, this is the doctrine of Christ. And there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. Or, while in the flesh, you shall come into his presence in the fullness of his glory. Having been instructed by knocking and asking after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you shall ye observe to do. So, going back to the NC 76. This is what it means to overcome by faith after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the Holy Spirit of promise? It is no one more or less than Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit of promise is actually an aspect of the mission of Jesus Christ. As a keeper at the gate. And this sealing by the Holy Spirit of promise is the sealing which occurs after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, after one has asked and knocked sufficiently that they have received all that God would require of them to part the veil and enter into his presence in the fullness of his glory and have obeyed all of those commandments and have now come into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. They are they who have their calling and election made sure, or in other words, are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise who is Christ, which the Father sheds forth upon all those who are just and true. So just and true are titles and new names of those who ascend to this level. And if you will notice in King Benjamin's address, he talks about this level of ascension twice. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. Well, what is the church of the firstborn? That is the third order of the gospel. Um, the first order of the gospel being the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham or the preparatory gospel. The second order of the gospel being the church of Christ, the terrestrial order. And the third order of the gospel being the church of the firstborn or the church of God the Father, the celestial order. All three orders were restored through Joseph Smith. And the key to understanding the life of Joseph Smith is to understand these three orders and when they were restored, when they were removed, and when Joseph is speaking um, to which group, meaning which order they belong to, because what he said and to whom depended on what order they belong to. And so this is the pathway so far that one must follow to come forth on the morning of the first resurrection. 
baptism by water into the terrestrial order, baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, second comforter. And then, verse 55, they are they into whose hands the Father hath given all things. They are they who are priests and kings who have received of his fullness and of his glory. This is to be ordained and sealed to the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood or the second order of Melchizedek priesthood restored to Joseph Smith on June 4th, 1831 at the Isaac Morley farm. And another name for the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood is in verse 57 and are priests of the most high after the order of Melchizedek, which was after the order of Enoch, which was after the order of the only begotten son. Wherefore, as it is written, they are God's little G, even the sons of God, big G. Wherefore, all things are theirs, whether life or death, or things present or things to come. All are theirs, and they are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This is the level of 144,000. Or in other words, to come forth on the morning of the first resurrection, one must ascend to that level. Now, this ascension level Joseph Smith didn't achieve until 1843, a year before his death. And Abraham didn't ascend to this level until after he passed the test of being willing to offer up his son, Isaac. Verse 60, and they shall overcome all things. Wherefore, let no man glory in man, but rather let him glory in God, who shall subdue all enemies under his feet. These shall dwell in the presence of God and his Christ forever and ever. These are they whom he shall bring with him when he shall come in the clouds of heaven to reign on earth over his people. These are they who shall have part in the first resurrection. These are they who shall come forth in the resurrection of the just. These are they who shall come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly place, the holiest of all. Now, another name for Mount Zion is New Jerusalem. So these are they who are come unto the New Jerusalem. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly place, the holiest of all. These are they who have come to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of Enoch and of the firstborn. Well, what is the church of Enoch and of the firstborn? So the church of Enoch is actually a subsect of the church of the firstborn. One becomes a member of the church of the firstborn with the second comforter. Then the next major ascension level is to be ordained and sealed to the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood and thus become a king and a priest under the most high God to become a God, little G, even the son of God, big G. Um, this is to ascend to the level of the church of Enoch or to the level of the 144,000 or translated beings. Verse 68, these are they whose names are written in heaven where God and Christ are the judge of all. These are they who are just men made perfect. So those who passed away before Christ comes in his glory, but have ascended to this level are those who are called just men made perfect. And both just men made perfect and those who have ascended to the level of God, little G, even under God, big G, or to the church of Enoch, all of these will be resurrected to a translated terrestrial body and will be caught up in the heavens and will come forth with Christ in his glory. These are they who are just men made perfect through the Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, 
the mediator of the new covenant, whereby we might become sons and daughters of Christ through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Or if we continue on that path, we might enter into his presence in the fullness of his glory and have our calling election made sure, being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And then continue on in the new covenant to have the patriarchal Lord of the Monkhazic Priesthood sealed upon us, to become God's little G, even the sons of God, big G. These are they whose bodies are celestial, whose glory is that of the sun, even the glory of God, the highest of all, whose glory, the sun of the firmament, is written as of being typical. And again, we saw the terrestrial world, and the world and lo, these are they who are of the terrestrial, whose glory differs from that of the church of the firstborn, who have received the fullness of the Father, even as that of the moon differs from the sun in firmament. Now, in JST Genesis 9, 21. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant which I made unto thy father Enoch. And so here, God is talking to Noah about the covenant that he made with his great-grandfather Enoch. That when men should keep all my commandments... How is it possible that men should keep all of God's commandments? Does that mean to be perfect like Christ is perfect? No. To keep all God's commandments simply means to feast upon the words of Christ. In the words of Nephi in 2 Nephi 32. For the words of Christ will show unto you all things what ye should do. Or in other words, to keep all the commandments of God means to enter into the new covenant to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then to feast upon the words of Christ as they instruct you about what is required of you to enter into his presence in the fullness of his glory and become a member of the church of the firstborn and prepare to enter into New Jerusalem. This is what it means to keep all of God's commandments. So this prophecy, which was a promise given to Enoch and told again to Noah, um, was regarding the return of the city of Enoch before Christ coming in his glory and about those on the earth who would participate uh, with Enoch in the return of the city. Namely, those who would enter into the new covenant to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and go on to receive the second comforter. That when men should keep all my commandments... Zion should again come on the earth. And Zion again comes upon the earth. You know, in this instance, uh, the return of Zion upon the earth is the return of Enoch in a city. Um, Zion is established at the time of the end time exodus and continues until this uh, meeting and then should Zion come upon the earth, the city of Enoch, which I have caught up unto myself. And this is mine everlasting covenant, that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth and look upward, then shall Zion look downward. And all the heavens shall shake with gladness, and the earth shall tremble with joy. And the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven and possess the earth and shall have place until the end come. And this is mine everlasting covenant, which I made unto thy father Enoch. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will establish my covenant unto thee, which I have made between me and thee, for every living creature of all flesh that shall be upon the earth. 
And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and thee for all flesh that shall be upon the earth. We will put a bookend on uh, tonight's doctrinal commentary on the second coming of Jesus Christ and the return of Joseph Smith. And we will continue this discussion next Monday. And we will open it now up into or to questions and discussion points and experiences.